verses 26 through 31. As, as most of you know by now, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going through it verse by verse, passage by passage, and chapter by chapter. One of the uh, dangers of doing that is, as a teacher, you cannot skip anything. How would it look if I walked in here one Sunday and said, guys, we just got to skip these verses because I ain't got a clue what, they, what these things mean. That wouldn't look very good, would it? Um, and how many of you know that there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand? In fact, how many of you would be surprised to know that the Bible itself says that there are things in it that are hard to understand? In, in 2 Peter, uh, Peter's writing a letter... And he says this, he's talking about Paul's letters, by the way, which Corinthians is one of those letters. And he said this, he says, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you do not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says there are things in the Bible that are hard to understand. And ignorant people, people that don't understand them, take them and twist them to their own destruction. But he says, I've warned you. In other words, that's no excuse. Just because there are things in the Bible that are hard to understand, that's no excuse. You need to guard yourself. You need to guard your heart, guard your mind... Uh, so that you're not led astray. And by the way, watch how, how, do you, how do you guard your heart and guard your mind? He says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're not... By the way, it's hard to understand. It's not impossible to understand. Everybody see that? See, that's not an excuse for us to say, well, that's just too hard. I, I, I can't figure that out. Uh, no, he says, you are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, the question is... How are we to grow in knowledge? How, do, how are we to understand some of these things that are hard to understand? Well, if I ask most of you that question, many people would say, well, we, we're supposed to go home and study our Bible, which is true. We are to let the Holy Spirit teach us, which is true. But did you know that one of the ways that we are to do that, that we're to grow and become mature and all that, is to do exactly what we're doing here this morning? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4.11... Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his uh, people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. I've heard people say over the years from time to time, I don't let any man teach me. I just let the Holy Spirit teach me. And I always want to say, so you know better than Jesus then. Because Jesus Christ himself ordained that we do exactly what we're doing here today. And you may say, well, yeah, but men are fallible. I agree. Prophets are fallible. Teachers are fallible. Pastors are fallible. But for some reason, Jesus said, that's the way you're going to do it. I'm going to give you fallible teachers. I'm going to give you fallible prophets. I'm going to give you fallible pastors. And those men and women are going to teach you and, and build you up so that you grow in the knowledge of me, you become more mature. Everybody with me? So, it, it, is it the best plan in the world? According to him, it was. He, so, what we're doing this morning as we sit here under a teacher and we study hard things of Scripture, we are walking in the will of God. This is exactly how Jesus designed it to, to work. Now, my job as a teacher, when I come to something hard is I am responsible to rightly divide the word of truth. I've, I've said this many times over the years. I believe with all my heart that one day I will stand before God and I'll give an account of every lesson I've ever taught, every message I've ever preached. I'll answer for this lesson today. It's my job to, to take that word and to explain it to you with the best of my ability with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I'll answer for that one day. Did I, did I twist it? And to, to lead you astray because I thought it meant something? Or did I rightly handle the word of truth? That's my job. Your job is to do like the Bereans. Your job is to leave here, go back, get in your Bible, 
and make sure what I'm telling you is correct. Everybody with me? I've got to answer for what I'm going to teach in every lesson. Your job is to leave here and examine the Scriptures to make sure that the things I'm teaching you are correct. Because, by the way, men are fallible. Men make mistakes. So you, you are responsible. Do not, please do not leave here, and Pastor Henry will say the same thing, do not leave here and just accept what I say. Study it for yourself. Examine it for yourself. Pray about it for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to show things to you for yourself. That's your, that's your job, okay? All right, now, today's lesson. Consider your calling. By the way, the reason I bring all that up is because today's lesson is hard to understand. And the odd thing is, it's not hard to understand because Paul uses big words or some kind of uh, great phrase, Greek phraseology that's weird. In fact, what Paul is going to say is as clear as a bell. In fact, he's going to say it twice. He's going to change his terminology. He's going to say the same thing twice so that you're, he's, he wants to make sure you understand what he's saying. It's not What he's going to say is clear. What's hard is our brains have trouble wrapping themselves around what he's going to say. Okay? Let's read. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now let's take a... A really quick review from last week so that we know where we are in context with what Paul is saying. Now last week, if you were here, we saw that the message of the cross, this, this message that God sent His Son to die on a cross to pay for your sin and mine, Paul said this message is foolishness to the world. And remember the word that Greek word that Paul used was moriah or moros. It's where we get the English word moron. He's saying that message to the world is moronic. It, it sounds like something a moron would say. Not only that, the message of the cross we saw is offensive to human pride. In other words, God purposefully chose a way of salvation that human beings would re just instinctively reject when they heard it. He purposefully made it so that human beings, so that human wisdom and intellect would never bring a human being to know God. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 21. It says, For since in the wisdom of God... In other words, He ordained it. He designed it that way so that the world through wisdom could not know Him. No human being through their own intellect, through their own logic, through their own mind, will ever come to know the, the true God. In fact, I said something last week that some of you might have found a little bit odd. I said it's almost like God set it up where it was impossible for people to be saved. But that's exactly what he, what he did do. You see, he made it impossible for human beings to be saved in and of their own power. He made it impossible for a human being to say, hey, look what I did. Look how smart I was to choose God. Look how humble I was to choose God. Look how logical I was. No. In fact, he'll tell us today in 1 Corinthians 9, why did he do that? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. He will not share his glory. He doesn't get 99% and the human get 1%. No, none at all. He will not share it. Okay? So he designed it so that humans on their own cannot come to know him. Yet, people are saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18, we saw it last week. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It's the power of, of God. In fact, some of the very Jews that Paul preached to who saw the cross as a stumbling block, they got saved, did they not? Some of the, the Gentiles or the Greeks who, who, that Paul preached to who saw the message as foolishness, they got saved. Now the question becomes, well, why? Why, why do some people believe 
And, and by the way, the Bible's very clear. It tells, Jesus said this, broad is the road that leads to destruction. How many, who, who's on that road? Many. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Who's on that road? Few. The Bible's extremely clear. Many don't believe. Only a few believe. The Bible tells us that over and over again. The question is, why do the few believe and the many do not? What makes the difference? If you're a believer, what made the difference in your, in your life? Were you smarter than the next person? It, well, it can't be that, right? Because we've already seen that God designed it so that your wisdom, your intellect can't, bring, it, it can't, gain you, it can't bring you to know God. So the question becomes, what makes the difference? Well, Paul told us last week in verse 24. He says, but to those who are called. Those who are called. You see, the ones who believe, Paul says, they are called. Now that raises a ton of questions. What does it mean to be called by God? Okay, and those are the questions. And by the way, that's exactly what Paul's going to explain today. He says, those who are called, and then he says, consider your calling. Let me explain this to you, in other words, Paul says. Now, before I get into this, I want to say something. What we're going to talk about here today is a very big deal. This isn't just some theological exercise that we go to to say, hey, you know, we covered that. This is a very big deal. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays a prayer. He's actually, as he's writing, he's praying a prayer. And he says this, I pray, now listen to what he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And in other words, he's saying, I pray that God gives you revelation knowledge. I pray that God gives you a spirit of wisdom. I pray that God opens your eyes. Why, Paul? What is it you want us to see? That you may know what is the hope of His calling. Everybody see that? He says, this is a big deal. And by the way, it takes for you to really understand this, God has to open your eyes. God has to give you revelation. But there's something about this calling that if you understand it, it'll give you hope. It'll change your life. It'll change your outlook. It'll change your viewpoint if you understand what is the hope of His calling. So what we're doing here today is a very big deal um, according, to, uh, according to Paul. So there are three things that we're going to cover this morning to learn what does Paul mean about this calling. And so that's the first thing we're going to find out here is what does Paul mean by those who are called? What does it mean to be called by God? Now, let's, by the way, what we're going to talk about here this morning, as I mentioned, is hard to understand. Again, it's not hard to understand because Paul is unclear. Paul is extremely clear. What's hard to understand is it's hard for us to put our human minds around what Paul is saying. But I want to start out with something easy. So I'll give you a couple of easy questions. Number one, who is the one doing the calling? God, the Spirit, uh, it's all the same. You know, God Himself is doing the calling. By the way, we learned that back in 1 Corinthians 1.9. Our very first lesson said this, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. So God Himself is issuing a call. And His aim of the call is not just to forgive your sins, not just to keep you out of hell. The aim of His call is to put you into a relationship with His Son, to put you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the aim of the call. So God is doing the calling. Now, let's get a little bit harder here. Who is God calling? Okay? Now, there's two answers to this question. I'm going to give you the, the, the one we all agree on first. The Bible is very clear that the gospel is offered to who? Everybody. In other words, it, God calls who? Everyone. Now, I want to give a name to this call. And so I'll use what theologians... Theologians refer to this as the gospel call. This, or or some, some, some of them recall it to a gen, as a general call, but I'm going to call it the gospel call. So this is a call that God issues that goes out to who? To everybody. Now, the gospel call is offered through human speech. 
And it's extremely important because without it, no human being could be saved. Now, this gospel call could be offered by Pastor Henry from the pulpit. It could be offered in a class like today where you explain the gospel. It could be offered through an email where you send an email to someone and, and you explain the gospel. It could go out through a, a letter. It could go out through a, a podcast. But what the gospel call is, it go, the way it works, is God uses human beings to preach or to share or to testify or to witness to another human being. And so it goes from one person to the next, one group to the next, and like that it goes out to everyone. That's the gospel call. Um, now, by the way, this is seen all throughout Scripture. I, I just picked a few of them. John 3.16, of course, is the one we all know. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that who? Whoever. Whosoever will may come. Do you want to be saved? Come today. Uh, Acts 17.30, God commands all people everywhere. Who is He commanding? All people. Where? Everywhere. This, this covers the whole planet. Matthew 7, 8, Jesus said, for everyone who asks, receives. Again, there's everyone. Romans 10, 13. In fact, listen to this. This, this. this verse, these two verses here explains it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But watch how they call. It says then, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You see that? Everybody see how that goes together? He says, how someone needs to, uh, to hear. They, somebody has to preach to them so that they can believe. That call goes out to everybody. It's, this is the gospel call. So this gospel call, this general call, goes out to all people. Everybody is invited to believe. Now, do we all agree on that? Let me see every head in here. Absolutely. That's, that's accepted by everybody. Now, here's my question. Is that the call that Paul is referring to in the first chapter of Corinthians? Read 23 and 24 again with me. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks it's foolishness. But to these who are called, it's the power of God. Everybody see that? So tell me, is he referring there to the gospel call? Yes or no? No. You see, it can't be. In fact, read it again. We preach Christ crucified. What is that? That's the gospel call. Is it not? We just saw that. That's the, we preach Christ crucified to everybody. That's the gospel call. But to the Jews, they reject it as a stumbling block. The Greeks rejected as foolishness. But then he says this, But to those who are called... It's the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, what we see here is, what you need to understand is this. Hearing the gospel is not enough to be saved. Just hearing the gospel is not enough. There must be something that God does. Scripture refers to it as a holy calling in order for someone to come to Jesus. Okay, I want to say that again. Just hearing the gospel. And by the way, it, that goes out to everybody. But everybody, at some point in their life, does what? They reject it. They reject that. There has to be something that God does in order for someone to be saved. Now, this is confirmed in numerous scriptures. I'm just going to pick three. And I'm going to pick them all by the words of Jesus. But this is all over the Bible. Jesus said this in Matthew twenty-two fourteen: For many are called. What, what calling is that? That's the gospel call. Many are called. Everybody's called. But Jesus said only a few are chosen. Everybody hears the gospel call, but there's something else that happens to the ones that believe. In John chapter 6, I wish I had time today to read that chapter. If you're making notes, make a note. Go home and read John chapter 6. It's a long chapter. In that chapter, Jesus is preaching to a multitude. In fact, He's giving the gospel call. He's preaching to everybody. And at the end of that chapter, almost every one of them 
turn around and walk away from him. And the Bible says they followed him no more. In fact, in that chapter, he even says to them, the words I'm speaking to you are spirit and their truth and their life. And the Bible says at the end, that chapter, they turn around and they walk away and they follow him no more. And when they do that, Jesus turns to his disciples and he makes that statement right there. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. You see, just speaking words of life weren't enough. They walked away. Just speaking words of truth and spirit, they weren't enough. Jesus said, you cannot come to me unless God does something on your behalf. God has to grant that you come to me in some way, some form, some fashion. John 6, 37, Jesus said this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no way or I will certainly not cast out. You see, when you read the Bible, one of the things you see is that in some way, God must be involved in allowing or granting or giving someone to His Son, Jesus. Now, so, so what we need to see so far is there's obviously something that goes on above and beyond the gospel call. In other words, what I want you to see is, is God doesn't just send out the gospel call and then sit down and cross His arms and say, I sure hope they do something. No, God has to come and get involved in, in some way, some form, some fashion in allowing you to come to Jesus, in granting that you come to Jesus, in giving you to Jesus. Now, Paul is very clear about this in today's passage. Look, look at verse 26. The New King James puts it this way. For you see your calling, brothers, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. I'm going to ask you again, is he talking about the general gospel call? Somebody, is that the general call? It can't be. Watch what he says. Not many noble are called. Not many mighty are called. Not, not many um, wise are called. In fact, what he's saying is only a few nobles are called. Only a few wise are called. Only, only a few mighty are called. See, this second call that, 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 we're taught, that Paul's referring to here, it doesn't go out to everybody. It only goes out to a few that believe. It's, it's extremely clear what he's, what he's saying. So when you study the Bible, and again, we could spend... I literally could, could, could talk about this for days, but I've only got 45 minutes, so I've got I to gotta hurry. When you study the Bible it's extremely clear that there are two types of calls that Paul talks about. One is a general or gospel call that goes out to everybody. But the other, it's a second call where God gets involved in a person's life in order to bring them to Jesus. Theologians refer to this as the effectual call. That's what they named it, the effectual call, because it always brings about its desired effect. And it only goes out to those that believe. Now, most people at this point, you ask the question, well, who gets this second call? Well, that's a question a human being cannot answer. We have no idea who, who gets this second call. In fact, what we see is it's done according to the purposes of God. Look at Romans 8.28. He says, We know that all things work together for those who love God. To those who are what? The called, don't miss the last, according to... His purpose. In other words, one thing I can tell you about this second call, it doesn't go out to you because you're white. It doesn't go out to you because you're black. It doesn't go out to you because you're an American. It doesn't go out to you because you're a good, born in a good Southern Baptist family. It doesn't go out to you because you're a good person. It doesn't go out to you on any of those things. It goes out to you according to the purposes of God. In fact, look at this next one. This is 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. Paul says, talking about God, he says, "...who has saved us and called us with a holy calling." Here we go. "...not according to our works." Paul says, "...he called us to in a whole, with this holy calling." It has nothing to do with how smart you are. 
or how ignorant you are or how the color of your skin or whether you're a man or a woman or an American or an Iranian or, or good or bad. It says, He did it not according to our works, but listen to this, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. In fact, God made the decision to, to issue this second call before, not only before you were born, He made the decision to do it before time even began. Remember, folks, what's the, what's the problem? At, what's the underlying foundational problem in the church at Corinth? Anybody remember? Pride. Pride. They're proud. You see what he's doing? He's saying, what are you proud of? The decision God issued to you was decided before you were even born. Oh, yeah, before even time began. Got nothing to do with who you are. He, 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 he's saying that you've got nothing to be prideful uh, about. It is this second call, this effective call, that Paul is referring to in today's passage when he says, consider your calling. That word consider means, I want you to think about it, guys. I want you to review it in your mind. I want you to go over it because this is important. I want you to understand that you are called in a special way. Not just this gospel call that goes out to everybody. You have been called by God in a special way. So he says, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble. In fact, this whole passage today, Paul is going to explain what it means to be called. So that is our second question. There are three things that I said when we began that we need to learn the second one was, okay, there's this second call of God that goes out to people that believe. How does that call work? By the way, the gospel call, how does it work? I already told you. Preachers, teachers, testifiers, witnesses, human speech, human words. Well, what about this call? How, do you, how does it go out? That's exactly what Paul is explaining to us in today's chapter. He's going to explain to us what it means to be called. He's going to say it two times, just so we get it. He's going to be very clear about what it means to be called, and yet we are going to have an extremely hard time understanding what he's saying. Okay? Let's read it. Look at it in your verse, your, on your Bible, your translation. I'll read the whole thing. For, and I want, to, I want you to see what I highlighted in blue. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Think about it, what it means to be called. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. In other words, what it means to be called is God makes a choice to call you. And you may ask, well, Paul, why would he do it that way? Well, he told us in verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, in case you didn't quite get what he just said, he's going to say it again in a different way, starting in verse 30. And he says, and because of him, who is him? God. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, he says it one more time, if you're going to boast, you're going to boast in God because you have nothing to boast about. He did it. Okay? Now, I'm going to put this in very, very simple words so that we understand what he's saying. Paul says, if you are here this morning at River of Life and you are a Christian... You are a Christian because God chose you. That's what he's saying. It's clear as a bell. In fact, he says, if you are in Christ today, if you have been sanctified, if you are righteous, if you are... We, we sing all the time, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you are redeemed, you are, you are in Christ, sanctified, righteous, and redeemed for one reason and one reason only, and that's because of Him. God did that. God called you and God chose you. And by the way, why did He do it? So He gets all the glory. Paul said it tw two times. 
He's going to get all the glory that no man and no woman will ever be able to stand in His presence and say, look what I did. He took that completely out of the equation. He says, no, look what I did. By the way, do you see how different Christianity is from every other religion in the world? In every other religion in the world, the man or the woman chooses to make a decision for God. In Christianity, Paul says, God chose to make a decision for you. He reverses it. Everybody see that? Completely around. He said, no, you didn't choose me. I chose you. No other religion says that except for Christianity. It's an amazing thing. I said there are three things we need to learn. Number one, what does it mean to be called? Number two, what was number two? Oh, how does that call work? Here's number three. Remember at the very beginning, Paul prayed a prayer. I pray, he said, that God will give you revelation. I pray that God will open your eyes so that you'll know what is the hope of His calling. So here's my third thing today. What is the practical effect? What is the hope that it should give you to know that you are called? Not in a gospel call, not in a general call, but God chose you. What does that mean? What is the practical effect? Hebrews 6.11 says this, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. In simpler words, folks, God wants you and I to have full assurance of our salvation. He wants you to know that you know that you know that you are saved. He doesn't want you to live in fear, to be in anxiety from day to day, not sure, am I saved? If you're, like, if you're like every human being alive, if you're not careful, there are some days you feel saved. And there are some days you, you, you don't feel saved at all, do you? Sometimes it's the same day. Is it not? Some days it's the same hour. One hour, I'm like, whoo, I'm doing good. The next hour is, what is wrong with me? By the way, that's the hum- go, read, go read Romans 7. Paul says, wretched man that I am, what's wrong with me? That's the human condition. But Paul never doubted that he was saved. See, God wants us to walk in full assurance. Now, the fact is, though, that many Christians struggle with exactly that. And I know because I was one of them. For years, I struggled. Am I really saved? Again, there's days I'd be doing good, and I think, boy, I'm, I'm a real Christian. There's days I'd be doing so bad, I thought, there's, just, what is, there, there's no way I'm saved. There's no way. Now, I want to explain something to you, and I'm going to go back a little bit. I was saved when I was 11 years old. And in the mind of an 11-year-old boy, I want you to see how Christians work. Now, I want you to understand something. It's okay to think, I'm going to show you what I thought at 11 years old. That was okay at 11, but it's not okay at 52. Paul says, you were on the milk of the Word. But two years later, he says, I came back and you're still, you're still on the milk of the Word. You're still going around the same mountains of repentance and faith. You should have done moved on. See, we are supposed to grow. But I want to I go back with you to when I was 11 years old. In my mind, at 11 years old, this, was what, this is how salvation worked. I knew, I had been taught in Sunday school, that God sent Jesus to the cross to die for the sins of the world. That's what He did for me. And I knew that the good news, I had been taught this over and over, was that if I would just put my faith in Jesus Christ, I would be saved. In other words, that's what I needed to do. Everybody with me? Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. In fact, you learn this from John 3.16, which every kid seems to know that verse. After Jesus wept, right, they know that verse. They learn Jesus wept because that's the one you can kick back real quick without any trying. Um, John 3.16 is the next one. But look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's what He did. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Derek, that's what you need to do. Every person is told from a pulpit, you need to make a decision. You need to choose. You need to make a decision. Are we not? Absolutely we are. In other words, everybody has to make a decision. So... I chose to believe. I chose to be saved. And by the way, this is is all over the Bible, right? We're told to repent. We're told to believe. Now, over the years, I struggled with assurance of my salvation. I don't know how well you can see that. 
that is a picture of my Bible. This is a Bible that it, it's all old now. It was given, the, the pages at the very beginning are ripped out. But I think it was given to me, do you have any idea? Maybe when I was in my, best I can tell it's my early 20s. And I'm 52. So I've had this Bible about 30 years. I, I took my iPhone and I took a picture. That is 1 Corinthians. And in fact, uh, that is verse 118. And I made a note in my Bible. Now, what I want you all to see is I came back years later and I crossed it out. Does everybody see the X's? And I, and I wrote, wrong. Okay, wrong. Now, by the way, guys, do you understand that's okay? There shouldn't be a person in here. If you still believe the same way you did 30 years ago, you're not growing at all. You should be constantly growing and maturing and learning new things about God and who He is and how He's like. So that's okay. Now, I know it probably doesn't make you feel very good right now that a teacher standing up in front of you that's got things X'd out of his Bible. That's probably not making you feel very good. But let me tell you, it, it, that's, actually, that's actually okay. Now, what I want you to see is that note that I wrote. When I was in my 20s, I'm a, I'm a guess, this was probably my 20s when I wrote this note. 1 Corinthians 1.18... You've got it there in your Bible in front of you. It says this. It says, to us who are being saved. So what happened was, I'm reading that one day, and I saw that phrase, being saved. And I thought, well, that's odd. I've always been told that I am saved. What does it mean that we're being saved? We're in the process of it. And I began to meditate on that. And this is what I came up with. This is the note that I wrote in my Bible. I said, I'm thinking here of a drowning man who's been thrown a rope. He is effectively saved as long as he holds on, but he's not really saved until he reaches dry land. Now I want you to read, see, that was my view in my 20s of salvation, that God, by dying on the cross, had thrown me a rope. My job was to grab that rope and hold on for dear life. Everybody with me? And you see, he's pulling me to heaven. He's, he's pulling me across the finish line, but I have to hold on. That's my job. He had done all he could do. He had thrown me the rope. The rest of it was up to me. Hold on, Derek. In fact, in, see, in my mind, I had chosen God. In my mind, I was working out my own salvation. I was trying to endure to the end. I was trying to faint not. <laughs> the Bible says faint not. I was trying to faint not. Every day, hold on, Derek, do the best you can, right? And, what, and there would be some days I wasn't doing good, and I thought, man, I've let go of the rope. Where's that rope? I've got to grab it again. I mean, what a, what a way to live. What, that's God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to live with... with but see, in my mind of an 11-year-old and a 20-year-old, that was just the way it worked. I didn't know. Now... See, the problem was, by the way, everything I said as far as I chose God, I did. I chose to be saved. But the problem is that was only half the truth. That was only one side of the coin. You see, what I didn't realize, I saw these other scriptures in the Bible, but I didn't understand them, so I'd skip them. I read a scripture that said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I thought, whoa, that's over my head. That's, that's too much for me. So I just pushed it aside. So I lived on half the Bible. The Bible that was all about me. You fight. You, you work. You endure. You keep going. That was my whole idea. But one day God opened my eyes to these other scriptures, these other side of the coin, so to speak. Let me give you a few of them. John 15, 16, Jesus, as I just said, Jesus said, no, Derek, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Galatians 1.15, Paul said this, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. Matthew 22.14, as we said earlier, Jesus said, Many are called, but only a few are chosen. And notice, it doesn't say many are called, but only a few choose God. It's not what it says at all, is it? It says, many are called, but only a few are. Who's doing the choosing there? God is. Okay? How about another one? John 10, 26. Jesus says, you do not believe because you, don't, you are not among my sheep. 
Please read that again. It does not say, you don't belong to my sheep because you don't believe. He says, the reason you don't believe is you don't belong to me. Does everybody see that? We tend to read that the wrong way. He said, the reason you don't believe is because you're not one of my sheep. You don't, if you belong to me, you'd believe. Uh, Ephesians 1.4 says this, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I'll never forget when I saw that and God opened my eyes to that and I realized for the first time, Derek, you were chosen. Before the world even began, I already chose you. I already picked you. Do you understand? This 11-year-old boy became a man. He began to grow up and began to see, holy, wow, there's another... There's a whole other part of this out there I'd never seen before. How about a few more? Just think about, remember, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm holding on to the rope. I can't let go of the rope. How does that match up with this scripture? John 6, 38 through 40. Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, the Father, that I lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What is the will of God for you if you are saved? That you cannot lose it. Jesus will not lose you. You cannot be lost. That's the will of God. It says it right here. In fact, if you didn't get it the first time, he says it again. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. John 10, 27 through 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they'll never perish, and, and no one shall ever snatch them out of my hand. Romans 4.16, that's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed. See, God says, the reason it's grace, the reason I chose you, the reason that I do all these things is so it's guaranteed. Because if it depends on you, Derek, there ain't no guarantee. If it depends on you holding on the rope, that means nothing. Okay, how about a couple more? 2 Corinthians 1.22, who also has put His seal on us and given us His spirits in our heart is a guarantee. Romans 11.29, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That means they cannot be taken back. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You see, God wants us to have full assurance in our salvation. He wants us to know that we are saved and that we cannot lose that salvation. But what does that assurance have to be based on? You see, for most Christians, that assurance is based on their own feelings. How am I doing today? I'm good. How am I doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm not bad. So your assurance goes up and down, just like this, depending on how you're feeling. You, you, you can, you'll never have assurance if you're depend, basing it on your works. But can I tell you, if you'll base it on God, it's a guarantee. You can only have assurance when you know it's God. You see that we have to understand that salvation is a work of God and depends first and foremost upon Him and His calling. That's why Paul says, I pray that God will open your eyes, give you revelation so that you'll understand what it means to be called. Because if you do, the hope that will swell up in your heart will absolutely change your life and change your outlook. You see, the long-term effect of understanding the calling of God is not some wishy-washy Christian who moves in and out of the faith based on their feelings. This is God's call, and whom He call, He keeps. I love Jude 1.1. Jude 1.1 says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, loved, and kept. God called you, God loves you, and God keeps you in His power, by His choice, not yours. Now, as we come to the end today, I said today that today's would be hard to understand. Not, by the way, because, was it pretty clear what He said? Clear as a bell. The hard part is this. Which is it? Do I choose God, or does God choose me? Are we wrong to stand in a pulpit and call on people to make decisions for Christ when God is the one doing the choosing? How can it be both? See, that's very hard for us to... to it has for us and our human logic. 
It has to be one or the other. It cannot be both. But you see, when you study the Bible, the Bible is extremely clear that it is both. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians, look in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 1, 21 to 24. If I ask Paul this question, Paul, who are saved? Or how do you get saved? And he might answer like this. He might say, in the wisdom of God, the world through, the, through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who what? Believe. You see, that's the responsibility of the person. He's going to save those who believe. You are called to have faith. You are called to repent. You are called to believe. But then he goes on. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to what? Those who are called. You see, what you see right there is both. You see the responsibility of man to believe, and you see the sovereignty of God to call. It's always both. Listen, open your Bible and begin to read it. You'll see this over and over and over and over again. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is what you are to do. That is your doing. But now look at the rest of the verse. Don't stop there. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's God's doing. You see, I, 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 what I've realized through time is everything I do, everything, the faith that's in me, the belief that's in me, the work that I do, the revelation that I have, it's all a work of God allowing me to do those things. He's empowering me. Paul said one time, he said, I work harder than all of them. But it was God's grace that empowered me to do any of that. And that's exactly what He's doing to us. A couple more. Acts 17.30. The times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to what? He's, we stand in a pulpit and we tell people, repent and believe. But then look at Acts 11.18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance. Everybody see that? One is saying, you need to repent. The other one said, God grants repentance. This is all over the Bible. It's both. It's absolutely both. And we need to understand that. Because, by the way, if you go too far to one side or the other, you'll mess things up bad. I, I, I don't know. I'm not... You see, how these, how these facts work together for a human mind is, is hard. But shouldn't we kind of expect that? When the Bible says His ways are not our ways. In fact, His ways are higher than the heavens above the earth. We, we, he can do things that we cannot comprehend. To us, we say, well, it can't be both. God says, well, of course it can. In fact, I always fall back to this. That's why Paul says we walk by faith, not by what we can see and understand. You let faith be your eyes. If, it, if that Bible says it's both, I believe it's both. I don't get it, can't understand it, but that Bible tells me who He is, and if, my, if that Bible says He's the kind of God that can make it both, then that's enough for me. I believe it and I trust it. Paul, you'll, you'll see this in Paul's letters from time to time. In fact, in Romans 11, Paul's talking about this same subject. And all of a sudden, Paul will just stop, and he'll just bust out. And he can't contain himself anymore. He'll say this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He just says, Man, I, I, it's just an amazing thing when you read about some of these, these things. I mentioned earlier, we, we need to be very careful here that you don't go one way or the other. In fact, people can take two extremes when it comes to this question. Some people emphasize the sovereignty of God to the point that they remove all the responsibility from man. They say, well, God's doing the choosing. It really doesn't matter what people do. The Bible never says that at all. Never. In fact, other people will go the other way. They'll emphasize free will to the point where God is no longer sovereign, that He's no longer in control. The Bible never says that. You see, the Bible puts them both together. The Bible says it's both. 
Um, so again, neither one of those positions is biblical. Now, I want to close with this. When I, when I try to sometimes explain, I, I've said this often, for me an analogy helps, right, to explain something. So imagine this analogy. You come to the gates of heaven and you are getting ready to enter in and over the gates of heaven it says, whosoever will may come. And then you walk through those gates and as you walk through those gates you turn around and on the inside of the gate it says chosen before the foundation of the world. You see, there's good biblical balance in that illustration. Very good biblical balance. Whosoever will may come, but you walk through and look and it says, Derek, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Wow. Wow. Don't be like the 11-year-old me. Okay? Don't, if you're struggling with your assurance, if you're struggling with, sal- with the assurance of your salvation, of whether you're really saved... I pray today, I pray that you'll begin to see the other side of the coin. That God, because you are in Him, it's because, if you are in Christ, it's because of Him. It's because He chose you and because He called you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians. I pray, I pray this morning that I have done the best of my ability to explain what he meant by that. And God, if I've said anything wrong, if I've misled anybody in any way, then I pray that not only would you forgive me, but I pray that you would, uh, through the Holy Spirit, straighten them out. Don't let me be uh, an, an impediment to them and their assurance in you. But God, if I've said anything right here this morning, and I believe I have, I believe I've explained it to the best a human being can do, I pray, as Paul did in Ephesians 4, Holy Spirit, that you would give us revelation knowledge. I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom. I pray that our spiritual eyes this morning would be enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of our calling. And that as we walk out of here today, for those that struggle with the assurance of salvation, for the first time, they'll understand that it wasn't just them, but God Himself was involved in bringing them. And when God calls... God loves and God keeps. It's a guarantee. No man can snatch us out of His hand. We hit, that inheritance is set aside and it's kept by the power of God. We will get it one day. Father, help us understand that better today than we ever have. Help us to walk in assurance. We love You and we thank You. And God, I give You the glory. I boast in you. You, it's you, it's you. No one else. It's nothing I am, nothing I'll ever be or any of us that no flesh will ever glory in your presence, but you will receive all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.